Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Baldwin here. So good to have you here with us today for episode 359 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, uh, obviously, the last 18 months have been a wild ride, especially for those of us here in the speaking industry. And let's be real, like we've, we've witnessed a, a quick pivot to virtual events, return to in-person opportunities. And now it seems like we, we might be sliding back into a mix of both. And so today we're going to be chatting with my buddy, Sean Hanks from Premier Speakers Bureau uh, to talk about the ups and downs of the industry and really like kind of looking into the crystal ball of what he sees around the corner for us. We're also going to be talking about the needs of different sectors and industries, what event planners are looking for and how speakers can step up to fill the gaps amidst uncertain times. We're also going to discuss the value in using this time to establish your speaking business rather than just hoping that the next gig will land on your calendar. So uh, I always love talking with Sean. He's a good close friend uh, on the podcast and off the podcast. And so uh, I think this is going to be a really fun conversation for you. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation on navigating the here and now in the speaking industry with Sean Hanks. Enjoy. What's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today, we are joined by my uh, a good friend, Mr. Sean Hanks, who's the president of Premier Speakers Bureau here in the Nashville area. And uh, when anything is happening in the speaking industry, Sean is one of the guys I'm always just checking in with, trying to keep a, a pulse on things. And uh, one of my one, just one of the nicest humans in the world, but certainly in the speaking industry. And uh, a guy that I, I have a great admiration and respect for. And uh, we we get together, I don't know, every few months for breakfast. And uh, Always enjoy any time we can, get, we can have with us, Sean. So, uh, Sean, thanks for joining us today, man. Grant, great to see you as always. We occupied uh, two chairs at a coffee shop a week ago, and it feels like life's changed a little bit even since then. So welcome to the life of COVID. Thanks for the nice words. Great to see you. <laughs> always good to hang out, man. All right. So the 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 reason you're here is, again, we were recording this kind of the beginning of the fall 2021. Uh, a lot has happened in the world and certainly in the speaking industry in the the past 18 months. So rather than the kind of rehash and where we've been, let's kind of talk, let's look into the magic crystal ball here uh, of what maybe what we're both saying, what you're seeing. Uh, so talk to us right now. Like it felt like a few months ago, we were like, Hey man, COVID's over. Like we beat it. We beat the game. <laughs> Everything's back. And now it feels like, is it back? It, uh, did we beat it? Or is it coming back around? What do you, what's kind of your yeah. pulse right now in the speaking industry? Oh yeah. Great question. And man, it, you know, it's so, um, we use the term sectors, but, you know, industry specific education groups have to do some kind of training because, man, they got to train a bunch of teachers on what life's going to look like, you know, in the fall and spring. So they're they're more locked into events. Corporate groups are more anxious. It's so di divided amongst all the different um, like kind of business sectors out there. But I would say the biggest trends we're seeing is most event planners, event directors, man, they want to have events. Right. I mean, that's what they do. They want to push ahead, have an event. If that 
does require them falling back to virtual, which is, you know, I guess the common parlance. I mean, sometimes virtual is better than in person. I, I personally believe that in person has a unique flavor to it that virtual can't replace, but virtual is a, is a different product. But I'd say most, most event managers, directors want to make the event happen. Um, it's just, you know, depending on location and risk level and all those things they have to assess, we are seeing, you know, a higher percentage start to say, oh, all right, I got to start talking about rescheduling again. And the, you know, these poor people, you know, it impacts us, you know, we have 10 agents on our team. That's what they do for a living. And, you know, that right. it impacts them. But man, you feel for these event managers who have probably, some of them literally have rescheduled an event, the same event three or four times. And that just makes you, it just breaks your heart, man, because it's so much work has gone into each of these events. So I, always remind speakers and us too internally our team like hey this is tough for all of us but you know that event manager is usually sitting on an island by themselves at a company and they put an event together you do that three or four times and have to reschedule it it's tough man so they they need a pat on the back if they can get it and we try to try to give that as well yeah and i want to come back and talk a little bit about that specifically as as far as like speakers working with event planners and event managers right now but um, so it sounds like you're kind of one of the things you're seeing is not only is it depend on the industry and the sector and, but also depends on, on region and, you know, this state may be opening way up, uh, a lot more, this state cases may be way down that state or region, maybe cases are way up or vaccines are up or down. So it really depends on kind of a case by case, state by state, municipality by municipality, you know, situation. Is that fair? That's totally fair. I think it's apt. And, I, you know, it's funny. We, we work with a number of companies, some of which they're just, you know, the founder is just kind of a bold leader and she or he almost kind of uh, prides the wrong word. But they they take some joy and say, like, we're going to fight through and we're going to do this because, you know, they're putting a product out for a lot, a lot of these companies. That's what they do is they put events together. And, you know, we have one right now that they have an event in Orlando that three months ago is an aggressive company aggressive location aggressive in the sense that you know, orlando wants you to come there and have an event um but orlando as we record this right now is an area that COVID has spiked right so you have all of the factors that a month or two ago would have said that event's definitely going to happen but who could have predicted that the delta variant would have popped in orlando more than some other place right so we knew that california was going to be slow just politically they they've that's the, the direction they've chosen but florida Man, you'd have thought that was going to happen, but an aggressive company, event related, an aggressive location, but they're trying to bring a thousand people together, and it's just yeah. So it, there are some trends you can you can predict and guess, and then some of it you just truly wake up on a Monday morning and say, "What is the news telling us this week?" You know, right, right. Uh, on a on a macro level, like again, we were kind of talking about it. It felt like. Uh, I know even just in our conversation the past several months that things have picked up and picked up and picked up and people are looking forward to being back in person. We're getting together in, in live events and uh, everyone has that Zoom fatigue. And so let, let's get let's get the band back together. Are you seeing that continue? Meaning like people are still like booking events at a much higher clip than we've seen in the past 18 months? Or do you feel like maybe we've reached a point where we're going to let's plateau and everyone just kind of like sit back, hold their cards, wait for a second. What are you kind of seeing right now? Or what do you feel like the next few months look like? Yeah, great. It's a great question. And it's one that the answer is, is just so hard to pin down. We had a team meeting this morning with our sales team and we were talking about the weird dynamic where 
they're fielding calls from clients who have events booked, um, you know, for the next month or two, or this is our start of the fall. Um, and they're saying, hey, we have to reschedule this event. Like we're, you know, our, my boss is saying you can't put 500 people in a room, whatever, all the different factors, everybody can guess. But we're also booking events for the fall at a really rapid pace. So it's this bizarre kind of like, I don't know if that Venn diagram, you push them together, whatever's in the middle. <laughs> we love it because new business is great news, but it's so strange to have, you know, uh, on one hand groups saying we have to reschedule and begrudgingly. So, like I said earlier, they don't want to, man, they want yeah, to yeah. put that event on, but life just isn't permitting it. But then you have other groups who are saying, and it, different types of groups, if it's a internal company, you know, sales training, they can more likely get away. I'm using air quotes that don't get recorded on audio. They can they can do an event that is you know not going to get any negative publicity most likely. But if you're doing a client facing event selling tickets, obviously you got to be much more sensitive to the optics of that. So and the safety and all those things combined. So it's a weird moment, Grant. People who are anxious at having to reschedule, and then the next phone call is somebody saying, "I want to book a speaker for this fall." And as you and I chatted at the coffee shop the other day, our our biggest issue right now is hiring logistics folks. As we've, I'm just I'm super grateful. We've been very blessed. The market has come back in a really vibrant, strong way. We need to, we're staffing up to handle those events booked for the fall. But it's it's a weird mix between those two and groups anxious and rescheduling. Because so much of the past 18 months has been unknown and it's like you said, it's almost on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis of like, oh, things are back to normal. Oh, wait, are they? And just kind of back and forth, back and forth. How far out are you typically seeing right now that events are being booked? Because we, we kind of got two different things happening. There's like the event that was booked, you know, three months ago that's happening tomorrow. And then there's people who event planners who are looking at their schedule going, all right, do I want to, you know, we're, we normally have an end of the year thing in, in December, November, you know, uh, or we have a kickoff thing in January. Do we want to book that? Or do we want to wait, you know, another several weeks or months before we book that? Uh, what are you seeing as far as like timeline for what people are feeling comfortable booking stuff out? Yeah, it's counterintuitive. We built all of our models. When I mentioned we're having to hire more quickly, restaff than I thought we would, because we built all of our predictive models. And we're, we're I'm a huge nerd, so I love analytics, and I, I want the data to be able to predict what's going to happen, where it's going to grow, when it will. We used all of our, because the only information we had was 26 years of history of how has it worked. Um, turns out we were horribly wrong because our predictive model said most of our new business is going to follow the suit that it always had or path, which was about seven to eight months out. So if we're booking an event in May, you know, it's most likely going to be start of the year or whatever that window would be. Grant, that has been so wildly off. I would say our window right now is probably five, five to six weeks with some outliers wow. that are literally... We had an agent Saturday morning get a, a phone call and they said, hey, we're in a pinch. We have a, an event next Friday. So that was six days six away. Days. And credit to our buddy, Josh Linkner, who's doing that event next Friday, by the way. But um, that that is so wild. And the only thing I can guess is there's so much unknown that groups, especially when it comes to spending a sizable amount of money for a training, they truly are waiting until the last minute. You know, I mean, it, and not not to be difficult it's just because like you know in the past they knew they were going to have a conference next march and they could book it that far out right now it's hey we wanted to have a training in october 
we just don't know if we're going to be able to. So they may yeah. wait until the end of September to book that event for the end of October, um, which is great. It's business. We want to partner with them, but it certainly creates its own series of challenges, right? Of compressing what's normally a eight or nine month sales cycle and logistics process and all that into days and weeks. Yeah, it gets intense. Yeah. How do you recommend, or maybe even how do you think about that? Even just from like a a mental, emotional side, because speakers are so used to having their calendar filled, you know, three, six, eight months in advance. And so you can look ahead and if the calendar isn't where you want it to be, you know, next month, you know, like I might add one more date, but uh, Mm -hmm. it's not going to dramatically fill up. Whereas that was the case, you know, a couple of years ago, pre COVID. And now that may be the case where like, I got a ton of holes in the calendar next month. And yet, by, you know, next week, next month could be filled up. And so how do you kind of like mentally manage the emotions and kind of mental roller coaster of that? Yeah, Grant, that's a great question. Um, and I, I would suggest wine would be one option, but no, that's <laughs> not it. Um, you know, we're, we stand in a, a little bit of a unique place because we, we're privileged and blessed to work with a number of speakers. We see, it, you know, a, a, a number of different paths that, you know, that diverge there. And sometimes it, it truly is it, it you're going to end up with the same volume of calendar that maybe you had. I mean, 2019 was a banner year for so many speakers and so many bureaus in our space that I, I don't think we'll see 2019 levels for the next 12, you know, six to 12 months. But what we've done internally is take an average and extrapolate at the four year average from 19, 18, 17 and 16 and build all of our metrics based on that. So if you're a speaker and you're hoping, and 2019 was your best year ever, which I hear that refrain often from speakers, just to be upfront and frank, you're probably not gonna meet that volume again. If you spoke 60 times in 2019, I doubt you'll speak 60 times in 2020 or 2021 or whatever time domain you wanna say, like May to May, Um, but, I would suggest build out a three or four year average of what you think could be realistic and then know that even if you get that same quantity of, of dates, um, they're going to, you're probably going to be more flexible on fee as you hustle to try to re rebuild business. But to your, to your point and your question, I do think it's going to be, you know, to my earlier example, I, it, you may in September be adding dates in October, um, and you just kind of have to prep for that. It's tough because I know a lot of speakers like to have that built out so they can plan family time because, you know, if it's a mom or a dad who's on the road, they like to know, I'm going to travel for two weeks. I'm going to be at home for a week and be mom or be dad or, you know, be right. spouse, friend, whatever it is. That's a, a luxury right now that's probably not not going to be in front of us for a while. Hey friends, I got a question for you. Considering where you are in your speaking journey, what are your next steps to take your speaking career to the next level? If your answer is, I I have no idea or I have too many ideas, I don't know where to start, let me give you what I believe is the best next step that you can take. I want you to book a call with the Speaker Lab team today over at thespeakerlab.com slash coach. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash coach to see if our personalized coaching program is right for you. We have helped literally thousands of speakers from all over the world find and book more speaking gigs, and we'd love to see if we could help you as well. Our personalized coaching program features done-for-you websites, done-for-you demo videos, weekly coaching calls, access to all of our educational content. We find speaking leads specifically for you and so much more. 
You've got the talent. You've got the drive. Let us give you the plan to execute. All you got to do is book your call today by going to thespeakerlab.com slash coach. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash coach. Is there anything that you're seeing speakers do right now to kind of fill in the gaps? Meaning like I, uh, I, I'm, I'm waiting on like, so for example, if you said most speakers had a, a, a record year, 2019, it may take a second to get back to those levels. And most speakers aren't going to just sit back and say, well, I'll just, I'll just wait till we get back to those levels. Like I, I have to eat and live indoors in the meantime. So is there anything that you're seeing speakers that are doing to kind of fill the gap or kind of fill the void of not only how they're serving clients, but also just how they are financially, uh, um, connecting the dots and putting the pieces together. Yeah. Um, Yes, there are several things. One, online content became, uh, it, it was something that a number of speakers had almost as a secondary option. And uh, not even um, sometimes. I mean, I, I know a number of speakers who had extra sales resources, training, you know, maybe it's a three to six um, 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 session type of training that they would give away at the end of a, of a you know, a keynote and say, hey, I have, I have this. It's kind of just an extra value thing. They flipped that to selling that, and that replaced a lot of their keynote business or some of their keynote business during the worst of the COVID season. No one could travel, right? Um, but turning monetizing what you might have already sold before, but a lot of speakers used it as opportunity to get eyeballs and get interest and then turn that into other business. Uh, that's been a great um, revenue for a number of speakers I've talked to. Um I mean, ultimately, this is uh, the thing that I'm most encouraged by is this really has been for our company, for a lot of friends of mine who run bureaus, for a lot of speakers, has really been kind of a refining time. And I've had a lot of encouraging conversations, specifically with speakers who, man, it, it's such an aggressive, you're always chasing something, right? I mean, it's always like, I got to make new content or I've got to, what's the next book I'm going to write, whatever it is it gave a lot of people some time to sit down and say, all right, like if I, if I'm really going to do this and I'm passionate about this thing, like I, I need to focus on this thing and then also truly turn their speaking into a business and not always trying to get another check for another keynote. It's a horrible way to run any business, but it's a temptation in the speaking world because I'm going to get one, I'm going to get one more gig and that'll, you know, that'll yeah. put some money in the bank. I've seen a lot of speakers. They've been forced to, I mean, money stopped coming in for six, nine months. They were forced to truly for the first time, and this is where you come in, Grant, because you teach this, turn your speaking into a business instead of, man, I hope I get one more date. And that right. sounds like a fine line, but it's not. And the speakers that run it like a business, when COVID hit, it stunk for everybody. I'll, I'll rephrase that. It sucked for everybody, right? But those who run it like a business knew what their runway was. They were able to add some bells and whistles to generate some revenue to get them to the other side. And the speakers who were just saying, I got to get one more gig to get a check in the door. Um, it, it hurt. Right. Yeah. And maybe it, it, in a way that they couldn't come back from. Right. With things shifting and changing so much right now. And one thing I would, you know, I don't think either of us would ever recommend is just to tell a speaker to just kind of chase whatever the flavor of the month topic is, but are there any topics or needs that you're seeing specifically from event planners that are going like, Hey, we really need to, you know, talk to our people on this. Uh, are there any of those topics that you're like, we're getting hit up all the time on, on this right now? 
Yep, that's a very fair question and one I always try to avoid because by the time a speaker creates, it's like trying to <laughs> listen to the radio to figure out what the next single should be. Right, right. We're, in, we're in the world of music in Nashville and you always hear record producers say, like, don't listen to the radio to find out what your next single should be. <laughs> I always say it's a fair question, but you got to write and talk about what you're passionate about or it comes through. But to answer your question, not be evasive. Um, a lot of organizations are looking for the future of work because man, like could you, you and I have spent so much time talking about the way we run our businesses differently, right? I'm a mm -hmm. dinosaur. I want people in the office and I'm going to like be obstinate and headstrong to make that happen. You've got a much more innovative where everyone's spread out, but it works for you, right? The companies are desperate for, how do I marry those two things together, right? Like some companies have to physically have people in the building, um, but they also want to hire sharp young talent or just sharp talent to begin with. So um, yeah, future of work, definitely the, um, and this is, enough, I mean, a lot of it is connected to what is work look like and feel like tomorrow and next month, but just the, the emotional impact of what COVID has done to people and how it's changed you know, if you manage 50 people, it's t 50 totally different experiences from COVID, right? I mean, right. for for moms and dads who have little kids at home and all of a sudden became homeschooling parents overnight, and we're also trying to work a full-time job. I mean, I don't even, what, almost laughable that we would suggest you could do both, right? right. But often that burden falls on mom. You got a single mom. I mean, I, you know, th there's so many different elements and there's some great speakers out there who are addressing that issue not from a pat them on the head type of thing but from a real granular like hey if this is a situation you need to make certain they understand that they have this flexibility you know digging into those those weeds but definitely the work environment future of work are two of the most pertinent topics today and I, you know i suspect it will be for the next year or two as we all are poking our heads out of our out of our holes to figure out what is the sun out yet, you know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, let's talk about uh, virtual for a second, how virtual fits in. So it felt like, you know, for all of 2020, virtual was the only option. And then as live events and in-person events were coming back more and more, especially toward the beginning, you know, middle of, of 2021, uh, virtual still around, but um, it loses a little bit of the, of the fanfare as live events are like, I just being in person is typically a better experience, but how do you see virtual fitting in right now or anybody is, is virtual a, um, a first place option for some events that are coming to you? Or is it always just kind of like, ah, we'd prefer to do in person. And if we can't, our backup is, you know, to go virtual or we were, we had a plan for in person next week and this and this and this happened. And therefore we're going to just convert to virtual or how are you seeing virtual fit into the speaking landscape right now? Yeah. I would say it's not 100%, but I'm just going to speak with some hyperbole and say every event planner starts from the place of I want to do an in-person meeting. There there are some events that you can do virtual if it's real training-based that they start from the viewpoint of let's just do virtual and it'd be great. I would say almost every event they say, man, I want to do in-person. If Is that feasible? Then let's just try it. You know, I mean, if they're obvious overwhelming factors they're going to say no then they just go we'll do it virtual um but I do, we are past that moment of there's no chance we could you know it may of last year 2020 it was well first of all the question was what is virtual right like we were all downloading <laughs> right, right. zoom and googling <laughs> what does a zoom expert need to say because i need to be a zoom expert this afternoon um 
but yeah, I, most almost all are wanting to do it in person. The the unique thing, and I, I have kind of a fun spot in the bureau industry, just being really plugged in with the International Association of Speakers Bureaus, and just have a lot of friends there. Man, we're we're a small enough industry that it's a real friendly, competitive industry. Right? Some of my good friends run other bureaus, but the thing we're seeing a really um, we're, we're pushing for this to be normalized, and a, a number of event planners wanted as well, which is contracting. This is an in-person event for grant in October, but instead of just hoping it happens, and then if it doesn't, falling back to virtual, including in the contract, and I would encourage every speaker to chase this as well, including what are those fallback positions? What is the What are the financials if it has to switch to virtual? Who's going to pay for, you know, if, if you've got to go to a studio because you're not at home, but they have to flip to virtual for some different reason, then Who's going to pay for the studio when you're in Vegas and you got to go, you know, use a studio? All, all those types of things that a year ago, year and a half ago, man, we solved them on the fly for about 600 events in, you know, a month or two. It was madness. Now we're trying to get ahead of that and contracting those elements. So if they do have to flip to virtual, it, they don't love it. It, it. You know, it's a second option, but it's defined. It isn't as an absolute scramble to see what's going to happen. How would you recommend or how are you advising speakers right now to contract those things? Meaning like who's, uh, who do you suggest pays for a studio? Is it, you know, if a speaker is saying, I don't want to go to a studio, my home setup is fine. And the event planner is saying, no, no, we want you at a professional studio and here's the one we want you to use or, uh, you know, any of those scenarios or, you know, virtual, yep. we think we should, we think you should take, you know, we, we want a discount on the fee. How are you recommending speakers think through some of those logistics pieces? Right. Yeah. To run through each of the, I mean, studio, if the, if the client has a studio that they want you to use, I, the default setting is they need to pay for that. Um, if it's just contracted as virtual straight up, I would say most event managers, event planners, their expectation is if, if you're billing yourself as a virtual speaker, you've got a virtual studio at home. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, at this point, it can't be you with a zoom camera. Like it's got, I mean, it, it has to be something that you've put together and intentionally planned to make it look like what you want it to look like. And, you know, to state the obvious, record yourself a few times and then look at it because you're going to see a book on your shelf that you're like, oh, I didn't, Allstate didn't want me to have, you know, a competitor's <laughs> book on the shelf when I was uh, doing a Zoom for them. And we, we, we've experienced, and it was, you know, every speaker has, we've experienced every version of those mistakes, right? Um, but when, it, you know, the, the virtual fee is, the thing i think we talked about this before grant but as a reminder like when COVID hit i think all of us sat down for a second maybe definitely literally but also figuratively and just said we have to lean into the content is what they're paying for you know if you're a ten thousand dollar speaker you're not being paid ten thousand dollars to travel you're you're being paid ten thousand dollars because you've become an expert on something probably written a book about it but you definitely spent a lot of your life learning about it and being skilled to get on a stage and communicate those thoughts and ideas. So we all leaned heavily into that's the value, you know, getting on a Southwest flight isn't the value, right? But event planners for, I don't know, it's definitely a decade, probably maybe a century. There was always this underlying thing. If you're a $20,000 speaker, but you live in Orlando, you'll do it for 10. Yeah. And 50% was just this real rough number. I don't know who came up with it, but it was kind of that, like, hey, if I don't, if I can sleep in my own bed tonight, 
then yeah, I'll do it for half the fee because I mean, I'll drive there and be home. You know, I'll pick up my kids from school this afternoon. Yep. So when we started pushing back saying, hey, you know, we got to stick with this fee because it's the content and it's the expertise that Grant's bringing to the stage, not that he came here from Nashville to Orlando. Event planners, you know, were like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. We've, we set the stage a long time ago that you don't have to travel, that it's 50%, right? So it was hard to push back on that. And we had success to varying degrees, depending upon who the speaker was, what the content was. Um, but that that's kind of become an industry norm that nobody agreed to, but it sure does feel commonplace at this point. I think if you polled most event planners, they would tell you, yeah, it's about 50% for a virtual gig. Um, we have intentionally, and I would say a lot of our fellow bureaus and speakers too, have, as I alluded to, alluded to earlier, trying to contract for this is what the event looks like. If we fall back to virtual, this is the cost. We've tried to n- narrow the margin between those two. So, yeah. you know, if it's full fee, and maybe we're trying to get 75% for virtual or 70%. Um, and it, it does feel like clients are more open to that at that point. Um, and I don't know, I can't ex- exactly explain why that is, but man, that that local fee that we've all operated on roughly for decades is what, <laughs> and I, I don't, I can't hate them for it, Grant. They're smart, smart. They negotiate deals all day, every day. Event managers do. So of course they said we have a precedent. We're going to stick to it. You know? Yeah. Just virtual in general. I remember when COVID first hit that there were a handful of speakers that uh, some of what you represent who were going like, man, this virtual thing's great. Like you said, I I don't have to go anywhere. I can, uh, I'm just going to be a virtual speaker going forward. Like this is going to be awesome. I don't want to, I don't want to get on a plane again, you know? And uh, the, you know, the joke among speakers is, is that, uh, you know, you don't, pe- you don't, you don't pay for the speech. You're paying me to to travel and to get on a plane and leave my family. And like, right. that's nobody wants to do. Nobody's really excited about that. You know, all the right. Hampton Inns look the same and all the Southwest planes look the same. So if I can just be home and just be a full-time virtual speaker, that's amazing. So now that we're again, 18 plus months into this, do you feel like being a full-time virtual speaker is a viable option? If it is, it's not a space that we, that we operate in. Yeah. As a bureau, you know, I, I do. Um, you and I have talked about this offline um, a number of times. I, virtual will always be a thing, and it'll always potentially add value to higher fee speakers. Hey, I'll drop in your sales meeting after I speak a month later. To, you know, yeah. unpack some things. Or if you're, uh, you know, and just to attach some rough numbers to it, if you're a twenty five hundred dollars speaker, yeah, you probably are going to do more virtual events than a. $30,000 speaker because there is some cachet, some celebrity and not as a negative term, but, you know, to bring in a, a Peter Sheehan or name, whoever, you know, Carrie Lorenz, all the, those that have kind of their speaker hall of fame speakers for a reason, right? They're, yep. their name, household names in our world, at least. So um, I think virtual, you lose that component. You can see them on the screen, but when they're not in the room, it feels different. So I do think, um, there, there probably will be some virtual only speakers out there. I don't see them ever growing their business on a financial uh, per fee, per event fee. Maybe they'll do, you know, do it at volume. I know so many speakers that I've talked to publicly will do discuss there's a lot of Zoom conversations, you know, the forum type of things. And it's, man, I had the best year ever. It's great. Virtual's terrific. And I talked to them privately or over 
dinner over drinks and they're like stuff. Right. So yeah. I, I get it. There's, you know, there's a public discussion and a private discussion, but um, you, you got to do, if your fees at 50%, you have to do twice as many virtual gigs. You probably can do that on the calendar. It makes sense on the calendar, but is the clientele there is the question. Right. Just uh, to, to that end, uh, as you're having a lot of these kind of uh, private, we're just one-on-one discussions with speakers. And you, again, you talk with speakers at all different levels, all different fees, uh, all different industries and, and sectors. What's kind of the general tone you're hearing from speakers? Are speakers feeling like, all right, we, we made it. We're back. We're coming back. You made, uh, we, you know, we took two steps forward, one step back, but we're good. Or are you feeling speakers are, are fearful or nervous or uh, hopeful or optimistic? What's kind of the general vibe that you're feeling from speakers right now? Yeah, man, I, I would say it is more hopeful than not. And it, it, that's juxtaposing it to, you know, this time last year where <laughs> right, it, was, right. it was all not. Right? Doom and gloom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, doom and gloom, man. Uh, so yeah, I would say it's more hopeful. And, you know, even this, the, the, the setbacks with Delta, the Delta variant, which is a serious thing. And, you know, let's take it seriously. Um, but I, I think speakers have seen, okay, the industry is going to come back. It always has. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been around for a couple of years. I'll knock the dust out of my hair as I say this, but I was here for September 11th, here for the, um, the economic downturn in 08, 09. It's always going to come back, you know, yeah. un, until something <laughs> so cataclysmic happens that we won't be worried about money anymore, right? Um, so I think enough speakers have – you know, you always have to redevelop your perspective from where we sat last year um, to where we are now. I would say most speakers have a, a healthy amount of business on the books. You know, and it's, like I said earlier, it's not 2019 or whatever their best year ever levels are, but it they're at a place where they go, okay, the market, the market isn't going to disappear. And the people who said the market will never return and we're going to just be virtual forever, that's been disproven pretty quickly. Um quickly relative to the the calendar so i i would say most most speakers are hopeful there's definitely some anxiety that's returned with events starting to reschedule but even that i would say that you know we've we've gotten smarter contractually to to know okay this this revenue is not going to go away man it's going to stink if it was in october and we got to push it to february um you know that's lost revenue in some sense but it's not gone right we know it's still coming in the door it's just we're not going to get it until february i think that that brings a level of optimism that we didn't have a year year and a half ago you were uh you were talking earlier about event planners a lot of event managers that you're talking to and just how how stressful their job is of like i have an event next week is it going to happen i don't know you know and maybe it will maybe it won't and it's just kind of this kind of day-to-day Anything that you would recommend that you're seeing, like from a speaker's perspective, who are are uh, may not be working through a bureau, but working directly with a lot of these event planners and event managers, like what are things that speakers can be doing right now just to like make a event planner's life easy? Like anything that comes to mind there? Yeah, yeah, and it, it, you know it's common sense. This isn't something that everyone has to write down immediately. It's just a reminder to understand where those event planners, event managers, event directors sit. I mean they. they it's a one-on-one dialogue with you as a speaker, but they're having that same conversation with a hotel manager, with caterers, you know, with so many different vendors. And they're also hustling for their own jobs, right? I mean, they're having to demonstrate I'm here and getting paid to do this for a reason. And this isn't something that's expendable and can just be scratched off the budget. Like these events really do move the needle for our company. Right. Um, 
But, uh, you know, they, they face a lot of tough choices, man, and there are no easy answers. Do you require everyone to show up vaccinated or show up proof of a negative test? I mean, that's a really difficult question to answer. And there's a, there are a lot of internal meetings about those types of things. What What's a level of intrusiveness that's too much versus protecting the people sitting next to you? You know, yeah. I, th- those are really tough questions to answer. Um, some municipalities are starting to answer them for them. I know uh, New Orleans recently, I think, um, mandated you can't have a public gathering, essentially our industry, without um, being double vaccinated, fully vaccinated, or a proof of a negative COVID test. Um, I suspect we're going to see that probably for some, you know some other major event cities in the next few months. There are some states that will um, will avoid that and make that a a market differentiator, right? I mean, I could see Florida saying we're not going to ever require that, and they've already pursued that with the cruise industries. Um, but just understand, event planners, to answer your question. Man, there's just there's so much, so many things being shot at them that you know. If this sounds trite, a twenty dollars Starbucks gift card. <laughs> you text somebody and you go, "Hey, man, I know this," and especially when they've come to you to say, "I got to cancel your event, or I got to reschedule you, or I got to move you to virtual and pay you less." They're expecting you to be livid, right? I mean, they're expecting yeah. you to say, "How dare you? You're going to talk to my attorney, right?" And for you to say, "I get it, it's tough," you know, to say man, what a horrible situation. You're having 10 of these phone calls. It's not just this one, you know, appreciate you. Send them a Starbucks gift card. I always tell our team internally, in those moments, you're going to make a friend or an enemy for life. If you're kind to them and it costs you some money, that stinks, man. But you're investing in a 10-year relationship and you probably got a friend for life, right? Uh, They're going to recommend you to everybody they can bump into. And if you're a jerk to them, they're not going to forget that, right? Because they're yeah. they're fighting it. Yep. Yeah, thousand percent agree. Uh, one final question: what's the what's the best advice you can give speakers at any level currently? So, as again, we things are a bit more optimistic, but there's still some unknown and uncertainty, and and things are. I'm booking some things, but I'm getting some things rescheduled. I'm getting some things canceled. Um, this one thing I thought was a uh, a gimme has fallen through, and uh, there's just there's still a ton of unknown. Any advice you're, you would give to speakers in general across the board? Grant, is this when you told me to read your website and tell them to go to grantbaldwin.com? <laughs> guys, I'm teasing, and you have to know that Grant's one of my favorite people, so I couldn't resist that urge. Man, I, I will go back to what I said earlier. This is the time. If you can run your business, you can run your speaking career as a business right now. When you when A year from now, when you're crushing it again, you're going to be so grateful that you set yourself up to succeed because – if you're not set up to succeed, success isn't going to fix your problems, right? You're still going to be chasing the next event to get the next check. So as as hard as it is, I would say invest right now to to build your speaking career as a business and not just the next speaking event. And if, you, if you're one of those speakers who's always said, I'm going to write a book on this or I'm going to do some research for my next book, well, when are you going to do that more than right now, right? Like now is the time to do that. And it's like having a kid. There's no perfect time for it. Um, But you're always glad you did once you did it for most people. Most of the time, most of the time. (laughs) Yeah. Right. No, I I mean, this, this is the moment, man, like invest in it and you can really set yourself up to win because we are going to come out of this. The market's going to return. It has returned. 
in with some real force in a positive way. I mean, the events have come back. Yeah, you know, there's going to be a little some speed bumps here, right? But the market's always going to return. And if you believe enough in your content to be a professional speaker, make it a business and spend this time right now to really perfect your systems in all of that. So when when business start starts to trickle in, flow in, rush in, you're set up for it and set up for success. Yeah, I think you made such a good point earlier that that the speaking industry has been around for a long time uh, and will be around for a long time. And so people are always looking for uh, speakers to stand on the, on a stage and, and share a message of some form to some type of audience. And so that it may evolve and look different over time, but it, the ultimate idea, the core of that is not going away. And so uh, if you've ever wanted to, to be a speaker, there's no better time than, than now to jump in. So Sean, I always enjoy hanging out with you, whether uh, it's in this context or in person. And so I look forward to our next time together. We, we appreciate the time, man. You're the best, brother. Appreciate you. See ya. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. Again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.